Welcome to this week's edition of Good Books Radio. Audiobooks.com is the chief underwriter for Good Books Radio, which is produced by UTRGV Media Services for Rio Grande Valley Public Radio. And now, here's your host, Dr. John Cook. Welcome once again to another edition of Good Books Radio. I'm your host this week, Dr. John Cook. Good Books Radio is a product of the University of Texas Rio Grande Valley, and we're proud to present this program every week on our public radio affiliate. With me today is Thomas Moore. Uh, Thomas is the number one New York Times bestselling author of Care of the Soul, as well as many other books on deepening soul and cultivating a mature spiritual life, three of which have received the Books for a Better Life Award. At turns, he has been a monk, a musician, a university professor, and psychotherapist. Today, he lectures widely on creating a more soulful world and on spirituality. He lives in New Hampshire, and I bet you're not having a hot, sunny day like we are today. I am not in the sun, I can tell you that. Uh, Welcome to the program. The book is a very meaningful book to me. I enjoyed every page. The book is called The Ageless Soul, The Lifelong Journey Toward Meaning and Joy. So I want to start by defining two terms, aging and soul. Let's talk about that first. Okay, start with a tough question. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, aging, to me, the way I use it here, is not about getting old, not adding years and birthdays. It's about uh, a process of becoming a person, and becoming the person in particular that you can be. So it seems to me that uh, throughout life, we have opportunities to change and go through initiations. And uh, that means we, we deepen our sense of who we are. And that's what I understand to be aging. So we develop in character as we go. Now, in all, in all my books, I've, uh, I've used this word soul, and I know it can be a problem because it's used in many different ways, and it's rather archaic in some ways, but I think it's good to bring back because I think, I think when people think about it in ordinary terms, it's just about our depths and substance. It's like if you know a person who has soul, you, can, you might use that word. You mean this is somebody who's really lived or... You know, a real person, someone you like to be with and maybe even learn from. So when I talk about ageless soul, I'm talking about uh, that element in us that is our identity, our depth, that doesn't really change much over time. I mean, I guess it does develop a bit when we go through experiences, but there's something that remains all the way through. So that's the ageless part. Mm-hmm. I uh, I noticed that you, you're fond of Carl Jung, and although I don't remember you saying it in the book, I, I kept thinking when you used the word soul of Carl Jung's definition of individuals as an individuation of God. Yes, I, I'm very much influenced by Jung. I often teach him. and uh, Yes, I, 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 I do have Jung's idea in mind. Of course, he also talked about the soul as the unconscious realm, that part of us that we don't know much about, pretty mysterious, but still is, is acting up all the time. So that's an aspect of getting older, too, I think, as we age. It's not all conscious. And uh, you go through experiences, and, and you wonder, what's going on with me? You know, and, and uh, what, you're, what you, might, you might find out eventually is that this experience has brought you further into life. Yeah, and I like the way you, you develop the notion of uh, not getting, not, not longing for the past or yearning for a different future, but just accepting what passes your way as part of the soul emerging and becoming more visible over time. Yes, that's, that's really good language. I like to use that myself, that the soul emerges over time. So in a way, 
you know, we start out very young. We don't really have much of a clue of who we are or what we could be. And that's certainly true in my life. I, I describe that in this book that I, I would never have guessed from where my life had, you know, would have gone. Um, but you go through experiences, and uh, over a period of time, um, it's revealed to you who you are. And I think you become less this conscious, calculating individual. And you are more than, as time goes on, you are more this, this deep, mysterious part of you coming to the foreground. And you might be surprised at what comes out of you. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I liked the fact that you said something that I'm coming to grips with. I'm only about a decade younger than you. Uh, facing the loss of youthful beauty and strength. And the first chapter is about the first taste of aging, and it can be unsettling. Oh, boy, it sure can. And it can come young. You know, some people, when they're in their 20s, they notice a gray hair. Or they, in their early 30s, notice that they, you know, still, I mean, even that young can't do something they did when they were teenagers or 20. So I think it happens all life long that we have these little indications that time doesn't stand still, that we're always developing, always getting older. And it has an effect on us. And I think what that is is a little, very small kind of initiation. It's like you, you go over a, you go through a passage at that particular moment. It's very tiny, but it has a big impact on who you are. Mm-hmm. And and while we are uh, needing to accept what's passing uh, as the years pass, we don't have to surrender our youth to that, our spirit of youth. No, I don't think so at all. Uh, you you can keep your youth. This is an odd thing about human life that um, we are young and old at the same time. And I give as an example my dad, who died at 100. And at 100, he was going on maybe 50. You know, he was very, very youthful in his style and the way he thought about himself and the way he behaved. Uh, very, very youthful. And some of us are like that. Of course, the other thing can happen, too, where you're, very, you're actually young in years, but you're an old person. You know, like, mm-hmm. It works both ways. And I think both are valid. But we ha- I think the trick really is to keep your youth and your age, the spirit of youth and the spirit of age. Keep them, not balanced really, but keep both represented as you go through life. Mm-hmm. I, I had to laugh out loud when you told about your aunt uh, upset over aging. She was 16 at the time. Yes. <laughs> yes, my, my aunt, my poor aunt, she was 16, and she felt that she was getting old, and she was crying and upset about it. And, you know, you just know that, well, 10 more years, then you're going to really be crying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, reality, as, as you state, the body does have to fall apart. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's certainly true. The body falls apart. And I think what we have to do is just recognize that part of our existence is physical, and it uh, reaches a peak, and then it, it starts uh, going down downhill. That's just the way it is. But you don't have to surrender to that because the, your interior life, your, your sense of yourself and your, the way you feel about life and how, you, and how you want to be, that can be very youthful. You don't have to give everything up to old age. Yes, and you, you, uh, the way you phrase it, I really like, and that is the uh, be true to your soul's age, not the numbers or the side of weakness or ill health. To the soul, those are meaningless. Yeah, I always say that I'm actually 42. You know, that's that's how I feel I am. Mm-hmm. I look in the mirror and I say, oh, yeah, I don't know who that guy is, but inwardly I'm, I'm really about in my 40s somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I want to keep it that way. I like being inwardly 40 and outwardly right now I'm 77. Mm-hmm. And um, the 
pain that we go through in life. Uh, we get stung from time to time, a failed job, a sickness, a lost relationship. How does that figure into this model? Well, it depends how you deal with these things. That's part of life. I see them not necessarily as failures or roadblocks or anything like that, but as passages. As, as, and I keep using the word initiation, which means that you go through a change, you go through a challenge, and you come out the, out, come out the other side of it, and actually you're better off for it because you've gone through it. So what makes us into who we are and our best selves is not just the good times, and the achievements we have that we consider positive. But, but having had illnesses or having had failures or losses, those things really give you character, and they, they make you into the person, the individual you are. Mm -hmm. you, you use the term alchemy, and I kind of like that uh, uh, analogy, I guess, or metaphor. Well, that takes us back to Jung. You know, Jung discovered alchemy in his life, and it really changed him a lot to realize this was a great metaphor for what happens to us. So, yes, there's an alchemy that takes place. You know, there's one thing I didn't write about in the book, that um, alchemists talked about a yellowing process. You know, they use a lot of colors, like there's a reddening and a blackening and a whitening. The yellowing is the aging process. And what it means, I think, is that it's a very natural thing. It's the alchemy of your life. And if you could celebrate that, you might enjoy getting older. You know, you can, you can do things when you're older that you can't do when you're young. Like uh, you can really guide young people from your experience. That's a terrific thing, to be a mentor and an elder, uh, someone who can guide other people and have a kind of leadership that's based on your age. You can't do that in your 20s, mm -hmm. but you can do it later on. I really appreciate the, the mentoring aspect because that's something that, that's important to me, and I really believe that that's part of deepening the soul for sure. I like some of your dialectics. <laughs> uh, you put opposites next to each other, and, and one of them is melancholy as a way to happiness. Yes, that's right. I do like, I do like those kind of... I like the word dialectics, too. I usually think of it as paradoxical. Mm -hmm. But yes, uh, so uh, melancholy... Is, uh, here's the point, a very simple one, is that if, if our happiness, if our feeling of happiness or our pursuit of happiness is a defense against being sad, then it's not real. I mean, this is just a little psychological law. You know, you start with that. So that means that another way of putting it is that if you can embrace the melancholic moments in life, I don't say depressive because that's too clinical. I mean, a very human sadness of getting older, the sadness of loss or sadness of getting ill, if you can embrace those, then you have a better chance of being really happy because you're not protecting yourself against those experiences. Mm -hmm. You also say not to spend much time with negative people. I kind of like that advice, too. Yes, I think you really do have to be around people who are, who are not, you know, Pollyanna. They're not uh, overly cheerful, but People who are realistic about life, and you know, they tend to be happy. I think, I think if you can take life on and feel your your emotions, all of them, your anger and your sadness and loneliness, if you can feel all those things, you can be happy. You can be a cheerful person. That and, and that cheerfulness is real. Mm -hmm. What about uh, the notion you, you bring up of digesting past experiences? How does that figure in? Well, it's really essential, seems to me. I speak now as a therapist because I work with a lot of people, you know, who, who are a little older, maybe, generally. And, um, and they, they, they have had many experiences in the past that have been 
difficult and painful, and uh, even in childhood, of course. I mean, I work with people in their 60s whose childhood is still very vivid in them. Things that happened when they were very young are still working themselves out. So I think it's really, really important as you age to tell the story of your life to somebody who can listen to you. Personally, I think everyone should be in therapy, but that's another matter mm-hmm. altogether. I, uh, another way to put it is that you can actually have a good therapeutic conversation with a friend you can, uh, or a family member. There are probably people you know that you can talk to, and you feel okay from having talked to them because they're listening to you, and you're able to say what you need to say. Now, that can be working through some of those past experiences. They are really problematical if they are not spoken. If they're just contained inwardly, they tend to become bigger than they need to be and and quite negative. Mm -hmm. And that brings us to living a reflective life. What about reflection? Yes, I know it's not terribly American to say that. (laughs) We we like to be active. If you do nothing else, do something. That's how we feel. But reflection is really important. I think Americans, too, are good at it because Americans are good at going out into the nature, into the, uh, into the woods or by the sea, uh, climbing mountains, uh, uh, also visiting art galleries and listening to music. So all of these things um, help you create a more contemplative life. And I think as you get older, I mean, step by step, even if you're in your 30s, moving into their 40s, Uh, Think about you have an opportunity now to be less hyperactive because when we're young, we we are so driven, you know, we have to do so much and accomplish a great deal. But as you get older, that eases a bit, hopefully. And uh, so I would suggest cultivating that contemplative life as a good way to age. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't want to talk about this book without touching on the chapter on aging sexually. Mm-hmm. What, what about sexuality? But... Well, I, I think the, this may sound like a cop-out, but I think sexuality is a pretty broad thing. I mean, it, it's not just about uh, having a partner and, and lovemaking and that kind of thing. It's about being in the world with, uh, where pleasure is a, is a goal and it's a, it's a good thing to pursue with deep pleasures, not superficial ones. And um, also that... Um, uh, other things might be part of your sexuality, like being in the world intimately and not being so distant and remote. That's a big problem in contemporary life. Everything is so remote, done on a computer screen. We need sensuous, intimate, close encounters with the real world, people and nature and animals, all kinds of things. And I think that that's part of our sexuality. So there can be a broadening and deepening of our sexuality as we get older. And even in our relationships, they can be less driven. And, and you can, you know, appreciate and have it as your philosophy of life that I don't have to be so driven and, and aiming at some goal. I can relax and I can be with somebody in a relaxed way, not have too many expectations of that person and not too many of yourself. Mm-hmm. You uh, also have a chapter on on illness, and illness is part of the initiation into old age for sure, but you draw on that book you wrote a, year, a few years back, The Soul of Medicine, and we should talk about illness and soul, I think. Yes. Uh, illness, from the soul point of view, illness is, again, an initiation. It's, it's a passage you go through. Um, in writing that book on medicine, I talked to a great number of doctors, nurses, and patients, 
and the patients, many of them, told me that their sickness healed them in the sense that it, uh, the sickness made them think about what was important in their lives, made them think about relationships that they wanted to be uh, work out better. And as they lay there in their sickness, they developed a different point of view toward life. And so I think we can see from the soul point of view that sickness can transform us if we're open to that transformation and, and change. And I wish, but I don't know, I don't think it's going to happen soon. I wish we could develop a health care system that includes these matters of soul. Mm-hmm. What about anger? This is one I haven't dealt with well, uh, especially in other people, but maybe in myself as well. And you, you talk about uh, kindly curmudgeons in one chapter. Yes. Well, a lot of people think about old age and getting angry or seeing older people who are angry. Uh, and there are a couple, I have a couple ideas about that. One is that older people might be angry because they've been around a long time and they know how the world could be and they have a certain feeling like a golden age in their own life when things were better. You hear that a lot from older people. I say it myself all the time. And... Uh, so I think that's part of it. We're angry because we wish the world were better, so we should listen to older people, and older people should speak up about their values. It's very important to hear them. It's very important for us in a community to hear what older people have to say. There's another more difficult side, though, and that is that what I was saying before, that uh, a lot of people have anger over things that happened years ago. It's a kind of corrosive, chronic anger that just makes you kind of a miserable person. And that obviously is not a great thing. That needs to be uh, dealt with, and mainly through talking, the talking cure, good conversation, talking about these things that have happened, seeing them in, uh, in a new way, and to also hear, know that another person is listening to you and understands what you've gone through. Mm-hmm. I'm reading with interest, or read with interest, the chapter on retirement because uh, I'm considering that soon, and I know what a, a drastic change that is for someone who does stuff all the time. And uh, this this may bring out the contrast between the soul and the the individual more than anything else. I think so. I think it's really important. The way I see it, um, we have a life work to do. You know, there's something we want to do that really speaks to our our soul to our deepest part and sometimes the career the job you've had all your life doesn't really do that or maybe it does it it could do it but it doesn't do it uh, completely and so you retire and if you think that now your work life is over i think that's a big mistake and when i when i talk to older people today i'm confirmed in that idea because so many find work to do it may not be even a paying job but they find work to do that gives them this depth of meaning they've been looking for all their life. Or it adds to what they've already done that's been very meaningful. I'm saying that because I know that you are working in the, in the, in the realm of radio, and I think that's a very important soul job. You know, you're having conversations with people all the time. So I would think for you to retire is not to say, okay, now I'm going to find the real thing that gets, you know, feeds my soul. It's that it's you're moving then toward a new a new area where you don't know what's coming up and you have to be open to it. But I think that retirement could be an opportunity to deepen that sense of having a life work. Well, I, and, and I love this 
show so much. It's meant so much to me over the 12 years that, that I've been doing it. Uh, I get to read a lot of interesting th thoughts, and I, I'm hoping that when I retire, I can continue the radio show, even though the, I won't be associated with the university anymore. It, you also mentioned meditation in that chapter on retirement. That's, a, that's an important aspect, too. Yes, meditation can take many different forms. I'm kind of quirky about this, too, because um, I make a distinction between soul and spirit. Soul is much deeper and part of ordinary life, and spirit takes us out of this world. They're both wonderful, both great. And there's a spiritual kind of meditating that I have done all my life, which is kind of, you know, you sit and be quiet and not be distracted and that sort of thing. But actually, for me, the best form of meditation I have is when I play the piano. That's my meditating. I like it because I'm in the world. I'm not out of it. That's the soul stuff, you know, to be in the world and yet be contemplative. So I, I got that uh, largely from uh, Henry David Thoreau, because he taught that idea, that you can, be, you can be meditative and contemplative in the world. You don't have to still everything and try to be somewhere else. Mm -hmm. So the piano does it for me. It's my instrument of meditation. Mm -hmm. um, want to make sure that we mention dreaming because you you use dreams a lot in your psychotherapy and it also seems to be a part of this aging gracefully well it is uh i i i spend probably 90 percent of my work with people therapeutically on dreams i just i trust dreams i i've been working with them now for 40 years so i don't feel i don't feel uh so thrown by them as much i i see what's going on in them and so I think if anyone could pay attention to their dream life and just uh, just use your feet, your your sense, your your intelligence for metaphor, just think metaphorically about your dream. Um, I mean, if, for example, um, if you dream about uh, 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 let's say dangerous animals in a forest, well, you know that you know the forest is like going into a deep dark place, and that you can imagine what how you're doing that in your life right now. It's um, it, all it takes is a little sense of metaphor. Now, you don't have to be a genius about these things. Don't use uh, uh, dictionaries of dreams. That's not that's not the point. Use your own talent for metaphor, and you'd be surprised how that deepens your life. It deepens it. You you look at everything then from a deeper point of view. You you see the, the stories and narratives that are going on in life around you because the dream has has taught you how to how to see and how to look. Mm -hmm. I hope that one of the effects of this book is to reshape our notion of elder. We mentioned mentoring, but let's talk about the roles an elder can play, the role of grandparents, elder writers, elder healers. Well, I tell, I tell some stories that are very powerful to me. I tell one of a man in Ireland who, when I was 19, he was 70. He opened up the whole world of art to, of art to me and helped me be a writer, I think. And he didn't have to do it. He just, he just opened, he saw an opportunity to help this young kid. And he said, uh, hey, come and talk to me. I thought that was a, a wonderful model for people being elders. Take advantage of the opportunities when people are looking for guidance. And you're right there. And you have something to offer. You know, you, you have to because you've had experience. You've learned a lot. So he say, well, come and see me. Let's talk. That's the whole thing. It's based to me, it's based on the model of friendship. Hmm. That's what elderhood is about. You, you, you make friends out of your, your, uh, 
confidence that you get from being an older person. Mm-hmm. And I, I just, I, I think about ageism uh, a lot, and uh, I wish we had a, a higher respect for our elders and what they have to offer. Yes, it's, it's a real shame. I think it's just an aspect of the soullessness of our society. Mm-hmm. And so there's so many things that we can do in, in every area of our, of our life as a culture to be deeper people, to, to be more human, to um, make our decisions based on our basic human feeling of what it means to be a human being and be connected to each other. For example, if you can, if you can feel for a person who doesn't have the same national ethnic background you have or racial background, if you can feel into that, have empathy, then you have a chance to live in a more soulful world. I think that way, in other words, it's all bound together. If we could deal with racism, we'd also deal with ageism. Mm -hmm. Very good. So um, part of this process is expanding uh, your sense of time that stretches both backward and forward. And living in the moment is what we're used to hearing, but uh, stretching out that uh, experience to reminisce and to look ahead uh, is some, something else we ought to be doing. Yes, that's a soul thing, you see, to love the past. History, antiques, memory, all of that is very soulful. Keeping old buildings, keeping you know old objects around. Uh, I always say that if you're a real soulful person, you probably have a lot of junk in your house, you know, because you keep it. You don't just streamline everything. So I think that's really important. I'm not big on living in the moment myself. It's, I know it's a, it's one of the you know, the things that people say today and they like it, but I don't. I like to live in the past. I, I like, I think I belong in the 15th century myself, like mm-hmm. 500 years ago. Um, and I feel pretty good there, and I'm always drawn to that particular uh, time period. So I think uh, anybody might have that experience of enjoying a certain time in the past or liking, as you say, to reminisce. And taking advantage of the opportunities to tell old stories, stories about what happened in the past, that's very good for the soul. But you also have people from the past who've influenced you because of what they have written. I know that you uh, extensively talk about uh, the Greek gods, and you yes. mentioned uh, your namesake, St. Thomas More, yes. as having an influence on you as well. Yes, that's right, and I have a relationship with him. I've had it all my life. <laughs> So yes, I know his I know his biography probably as as, as well as any historian, and um, I feel close to Thomas More. He and I shared a lot in common. It'd be amazing, you know. It's amazing to talk about how I don't know. It's mysterious. So I think that's something that would be very uh, helpful to to a lot of people to to connect up with figures of the past and don't just see them as you know old dead people, but as um, People who lived like you did, and they wrote things down, and we have their thoughts, and you can have conversations with them in books and and uh, in other ways. So, like for example, I live in New Hampshire, so the the transcendentalists like uh, Emily Dickinson and uh, Henry David Thoreau and Emerson, these people, they're like my cousins. That's how I feel about them, more than neighbors even. I just feel very close to them. And it just so happens that their way of looking at life is almost identical with mine. And I draw a lot of, a lot of insight from them. Mm-hmm. We only have a minute left, and there's so much more I wanted to touch on, like community and friendship and, uh, that are touched on in the book. But I, in, in this last minute, could you say a word about living with dying? Yes. Um, 
dying, uh, living with dying really requires that you, I think, that you have develop your spirituality as you get older. This is connected to the, the chapter on spirituality, too, that as you get older, you can become more naturally spiritual. Spend more time in nature. Nature teaches you how to live and, I think, how to die. And you, you, uh, you hit to develop that eternal, timeless part of yourself. And if you do that, then death is not such a shock and such a difficult thing to deal with. Thank you. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have. We've been talking with Thomas Moore. The book is Ageless Soul, A Lifelong Journey Toward Meaning and Joy. I recommend it highly. I'm your host, Dr. John Cook. I remind you, if you don't hear our regularly scheduled broadcast on public radio, you can catch us at YouTube at Good Books Radio, Strong and Cook. I'm your host, Dr. John Cook. Thanks for listening.